right. If you would, take your Bible and open to Luke chapter 15. And as we do that, kids, those of you who are pre-K through first grade, if you guys want to head toward Elevate over there to Miss Courtney, if you're a guest of ours and you have a pre-K through first grader and they would like to go to a children's church uh, time during the sermon, they're more than welcome to do that. They just go right around the corner. We'd love for them to be a part of that. Kids, those of you who are second grade and up, I know it feels a little different uh, not being able to, to go to Elevate, but good news, in a couple of weeks, September 1st, Wednesday night, we restart our Wednesday night groups, kids activities, Wednesday night meals, so September 1st, that's coming up. Ladies, I know many of you signed up this morning for the Bible study. That'll be on Wednesday nights starting September 1st, so we want you to know that's coming. Also, let me say as we get started, if you're a guest of ours, maybe you've been around Emmaus for a couple of weeks, maybe today is your, your first day with us, next Sunday, immediately after the worship service, we have a meal for those who would just like to get to know some more information about the church. I know you go through the process of seeking God's guidance in your life about connecting with a local church, chance to meet staff, hear a little bit more about the history of Emmaus, kind of where we're going in the future. Next Sunday, we have that meal, and we would love for you to be a part of that. There's a little paper uh, guest card in the seat back in front of you. You can fill that out. You can use that QR code. Just come tell me after the service. We'll get you signed up. Emmaus members, if you know people who are looking for a church, trying to get connected to church maybe with a new school year starting up, bring them. Come eat lunch with them. Let us know you're coming and, and you're bringing somebody with you and we'll get you, get you signed up for that. We'd love for you to be a part of that. At the end of the service today, after the sermon is finished, Jaren's going to lead us through another song of celebration. Maybe a song that's a little bit newer to you, but I hope it connects really well with what we're talking about this morning. During that final song, I want you to know, I want to be very clear about this, we're going to have people at different places in the worship center, the landing areas down there below the stadium, up here at the front, people to pray for you. Take advantage of that. Maybe you're just going through a hard time in your family and you just need somebody to pray for you. Uh, maybe, specifically from the sermon this morning, God does something in your heart and you need somebody to pray for you, praying for a, a child or a grandchild who's gone away from the Lord and you're praying that they would come back. Whatever the situation this morning, know that during that last song, we're going to have people, men and women, around the worship center to pray for you. And we want you to take, take advantage of that this morning. I want to pray for us right now as we get started, and then we're going to look at this passage out of Luke chapter 15 here in just a minute. Let's pray together as we get started to study God's Word. Fathers, we think about coming together as a local church this morning. God, we are reminded of what it means to be connected to other churches in the area. God, thank you so much for an area with so many churches committed to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And God, we thank you for our friends, family who are part of those. God, we celebrate the way the gospel is being proclaimed this morning in these other churches, and we thank you for that. God, thank you for the the exciting work that you're doing here in our church family. God, we don't take that lightly. God, we want to respond in humility. We want to respond in faith. And God, guide us. And Father, this morning, our hearts are connected to our brothers and sisters around the world. God, we think about the church in Afghanistan and what they're facing and what uh, is happening in other parts of the world with, with persecution and opposition and yet how the gospel goes forward with such incredible power. 
And so, God, as we come to your word this morning, we come humbly, and God, we pray that you would speak through the power of your Holy Spirit. God, get our attention today. Wake us up to what it means to be your people and your grace poured out on us. And God, let us respond with faith and obedience. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So at our house, every once in a while, uh, we will get out the old Super Nintendo, all right? So, so not PlayStation, not Xbox, no gaming PCs here, just like the second generation old Super Nintendo. The only thing would be better is if it was the original Nintendo that still had the Duck Hunt gun hooked up to it. So uh, you guys, no VR technology will ever compete with the old Duck Hunt gun. Like, I don't know how many times we scratched up my parents' TV trying to get really close with that thing, uh, playing the old Nintendo. But there is a feature on the older Nintendos, and I know you can do that with the gaming systems now, but here's the, here's the key. If you were losing to your siblings in a game, or a game wasn't going particularly well, you just snuck up and hit the reset button. Game over, I'm not gonna lose an NBA jam to my brother, like game over, reset, fresh start. Let me ask you this question. Have you ever in life wished you could have a fresh start? In life, have you ever wished that you could move someplace where nobody knew your background, nobody knew your personality, nobody knew your flaws, you could have a fresh start in life. This morning, what would it mean to have a fresh start with God? Maybe you've gone through a season where it's been tough to connect with the Lord in prayer and worship. Maybe you've gone through a season where it's been tough to connect with the church and you just need even a fresh start with church. What does it mean that God would give us a fresh start? Over the next several weeks, at Emmaus, we're gonna be talking about what does it mean to have a fresh start in life? What does it mean to have a fresh start with relationships and people around us? Hit the reset button. God, what do you wanna do in our church right now? God, what do you wanna do in my life right now? Luke chapter 15, starting in verse 11. Jesus is giving a parable, Luke 15, verse 11. And he said, there was a man who had two sons. Okay, preparing for this parable. What's going on here? This is the third in a series of parables, so we have to read it with the two that came before. A lost sheep and a lost coin. Celebration when the item or the animal that was lost was found. And Jesus is specifically telling these three parables to a group of Pharisees, a group of religious leaders who were struggling with the fact that Jesus received sinners and tax collectors. These religious leaders did not like who Jesus spent time with, who Jesus reached out to, and so Jesus is going to tell them these parables to get their attention about what it means to understand God's character and understand God's character and the way he works in the world. And when you see a parable in the New Testament about a man who had two sons, your Old Testament brain should just explode because there are so many stories in the Old Testament about two sons or the way a father re relates to his sons. And so this parable underneath the surface is going to pick up a lot of that Old Testament imagery. So be, be aware of that as we go along. Verse 12. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. 
and he divided his property between them. Okay, we don't want to read too much into birth order here, but, but there's, there's something about this. So, two sons. The younger of the sons has a little bit of a rebellious streak, a little bit of an autonomous, wants to do whatever he wants to streak. The older son in this parable, as you're going to find out pretty soon, is the rule follower. Uh, does what the father wants. Kind of the easier child. Now, let me just go on record. I'm the oldest of three, okay? And in our family, and in many families I talk to, this whole birth order thing, there, there's something to it. Uh, kid number one tends to follow the rules, pretty type A. Now I know there's exceptions, but you know, pretty type A, rule follower, a little bit self-righteous at times. Kid number two, pretty free-spirited. <laughs> kind of, uh, you know, does what they want, a little bit of a rebellious streak. Nobody remembers Kid 3's name, so Kid 3 doesn't matter. Like, uh, kid, kid 3 is just out there somewhere. Nobody knows what happens to Kid 3, but like, Kid number 1 follows the rules. They kind of hold the line. Kid number 2 has a rebellious streak. Here the younger son has come to his father, and Miss Courtney taught our, our kids this story this summer at, uh, at kids camp, and, and in teaching the story, said very directly what the story is saying. Essentially, this younger son wants the father to be dead. It's treating the father as if he is dead, saying, you were going to die and give me your inheritance. Just give it to me now. I want my inheritance. I'm going to go off. And I say that with so much, um, so much caution in saying that because many of you have lived through this type of a story. To know the pain uh, of a child saying, I don't want anything to do with you anymore. I'm going to go off and do my own thing. I'm going to be rebellious. could care less what you say, mom or dad. I'm going to go my own direction. And there is deep, deep family pain that comes with something like this. And yet with this story, there's such a beautiful picture of God's grace and mercy and the way he works in, in our lives. Look at the next verse here, verse 13. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. He's going to go as far from home as he can. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. When you kind of double-click on these words and look below the surface, squandered and reckless are really key words here. Squandered is a way of saying he had no direction in life. It wasn't like home wasn't working out, but he had a really good plan. He had no plan. He was just going out, squandering it, scattering it, things... It, this was a very shotgun approach in life, just living life. Reckless meant he was very loose. This is where the term prodigal son comes from. He's very loose with his belongings. He has, he has um, no self-control. That's what I was trying to get at. He just spins and spins and spins and is going to live life however he wants. Verse 14. And when he had spent everything... You know, you give your kids money and you're like, hey, you need to make this last. And this guy made it last for, what, weeks, days? I don't know. When he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country. And he began to be in need. All the money's gone. Presumably, all the friends that he had made on this journey have now abandoned him. Verse 15. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. Let me say something real quick at, at this point I think it's important. So here's this younger son 
who has rebelled against his father, said, I don't care what the church says, I don't care what my parents say, I don't care what any authority figures say, I'm just gonna go live my life however I want to. And he starts to get to the end of his rope. He runs out of money, he runs out of friends, and in that moment, instead of turning back to the people who could help him, he turns further away. And how often do we see that happen? Somebody gets in a bad place in life, Life is falling apart on them. They run out of resources. People are turning against them. And in that moment, if only they would turn back to the people who love and care for them, they could be received, and yet they turn further away. Cody, uh, who did the baptism, who's our student pastor, he preached a few weeks ago, and he shared this little quote that, that fits so well right here, that oftentimes in life, when we get in trouble, we could say, oh no, I've messed up please don't tell my dad. <laughs> or you could say, oh no, I messed up. I've got to go tell dad. Think about the difference between those two. Oh no, I've messed up. There's no way I could return back home. My dad's not going to receive me. Or, oh no, I've screwed up. I need to go to my dad because he can make this right. This young man is stuck with those two options. And here, he turns further away because you find in verse 16, he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. For a Jewish young man to be living and working with a pig owner is as low as you could possibly go. <laughs> he has reached the end of his rope, and the rope is fraying at this point. And if you underline or highlight in your Bible that ending phrase there, no one gave him anything, is specifically designed in this parable to set up the contrast with what's coming next. So you should feel like there's no hope, movie's over, ended terribly, what's going to come next? Verse 17, but when he came to himself, how we don't know, he just, he reached rock bottom in this situation. When he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father. And I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. So he's in trouble. Living on his own, being rebellious against his father, did not work out nearly as fun as he expected. He's out of resources. What is he going to do? He's going to go back to his father. So what does he do? He plans his speech. Like if I go back with this speech, if I come before my father with this speech, maybe he'll receive me back. But don't miss this. He never imagines he will be received back as the son. He only hopes he can come and be received back as a hired servant. And this particular term for hired servant wasn't even a servant who lived in the household. This was a hired servant that would have lived in town and come to the property to work. So he never imagines he will get back into the house. He can only hope that he will be able to come back and work as a hired servant. When people reach rock bottom in life, the only thing they can imagine is they have to earn their way back to God. When people turn their back on the Lord, when people turn their back on their family, the only way they can imagine to get back is I have to earn my way back. And friends, don't miss how much that resides in our heart that we imagine our only way of getting back to God is we have to earn our way back to deserve a fresh start. Instead, watch what happens. You know, but it's more fun to say, watch what happens. 
I am no longer, oh wait, verse 20. And he arose and came to his father, verse 20. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. All the verbs that are just being thrown at you here, these active verbs the father is doing, the father is taking the initiative. That word compassion is a really fun word study to do in the New Testament. It, one of the places that word is used is in reference to the Good Samaritan who had compassion on the one who was hurt and thrown to the side. That here's this father who runs, doesn't care about his reputation, doesn't care about his honor. He's running to him. He's embracing him. A little bit of this imagery goes back to the Old Testament and, and the way that Jacob and Esau were reconciled and, and the way that Joseph and his brothers came back together in the Old Testament. But here's this father not going with an I told you so attitude. Here comes the son back. I told you you were going to run out of money. I told you this was not going to work. If you'll come back and work your way into my good graces, then it will be okay. He doesn't do that. He runs with compassion and love and embraces him. And the son said to him in verse 21, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. So he's, he's giving his speech, except he doesn't get to finish his speech. Because, in verse 22, the father cuts him off. He doesn't let him finish his speech. The father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and, a shoes, on his, and shoes on his feet. Now that verse, you might say, why those items? Like, what's going on in that verse? Every item in that verse, if you underline robe and ring and shoes, Every one of those is a picture in the ancient world of being a part of the home. So the robe was this, this status symbol that he would have received as part of the family. The ring gave him authority to do business as part of the family, as a son in the family. The shoes, servants at this time would not have had the shoes. It would have been the family who had the shoes. And when guests came to the house, the guests had to take their shoes off outside but the master of the house and his family could wear their shoes inside the house. Every element of this verse is the father saying to the son, you're not coming back as my hired servant. You're coming back as part of this house. You are coming back as my son. And he's giving his son these symbols of authority and status and being part of the home. And better yet, verse 23, bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. I love that, that resurrection uh, imagery. You think about the beauty of baptism and what that means there. He was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. What is the picture of this prodigal son coming back to the father and being received? It's a scene of celebration. The home here is a picture of acceptance. Quick aside here to ask you a question. Is your home a place of celebration and acceptance and grace and love. When people describe our homes, would they describe your home as a place of celebration and acceptance and grace and love? To come back here is to celebrate all the good gifts of the Father. Verse 25. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. Okay, 
middle of the sermon time. Let's re-engage real quickly. Make sure, because this imagery matters so much. The way this verse is set up, the older son at this point is outside the house. The younger son has been brought into the house. The older son is outside of the house. So set up that imagery in your mind when you think about this story. The older son is outside of the house. Why is he outside of the house? He's been going to work. He's probably not working with his hands. He's probably supervising the servants, but, but he's been doing what he's supposed to do because that's what he does as the older son. He follows the rules. He does the work. He supervises the servants. He fulfills his obligation, unlike younger brother that runs off with the money and, and goes somewhere else. Verse 26, and he called one of the servants and asked what these sounds, what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. And then you wish there was a verse that said, oh man, that rascal, I was wondering what he was up to. I'm so glad he came back, uh, except that's not what the next verse says. Next verse says, he was angry and refused to go in. So his father came out and entreated him or encouraged him. The contrast here, the older son is so angry about how this younger rebellious son has been treated and brought back into the house, he refuses to go into the house. He says, I would rather not be part of this family than be a part of a family that allows him back into the house. Man, think about the emotions of that. Think about all that's involved in that. And yet the father still takes initiative. The father still goes out to meet the older son just like he went out to meet the younger son. He goes out and encourages him to come back into the house. Ah, verse 29. But he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. Think for a second here about the older son and the way he perceived his relationship with his father. Served, obeyed what you gave me. When this older son thinks about his relationship with his father, it's like he was a servant in the house. He was supposed to obey his father. He was supposed to receive things in return. There's no mention of love. There's no relationship here. Meaning, selfish greed and stinginess and self-righteousness is just as toxic and deadly as rebellion and going off and spending your money in prostitution and all kinds of craziness that the younger son did. Both of these sons are worldly and materialistic. Both of them, initially, all they wanted were the things that the father could give them and not the relationship with the father. And in both cases, it separated them from their father. When his son of yours came, it says in verse 30, when the son of yours, <laughs> won't even call him his brother. It's just this son of yours, this, this other guy over here. This son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes. You killed the fattened calf for him. Now, let's think about this for a second. Why is the older brother so mad about this? Because the younger son took part of the inheritance and went away. 
when he came back, so when the younger son comes back to the house, anything he receives at this point is going to take away from the older brother's inheritance. When he comes back into the house, it's not only the father graciously giving to the younger brother, it's going to ultimately cost the older brother, and he wants nothing of it. He says, if this guy comes back, you're not going to use any of my inheritance for him. Why would you do this? Why would you cost our family so much to bring this younger brother back in? And he said to him in verse 31, the father did, celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Now in this story, we don't know whether or not the older brother ever came back into the house. And that's frankly, the purpose of the story, because Jesus is testing the Pharisees, these religious leaders, and saying to them, do you understand what I've been called to do, to come and to call the sinners and the tax collectors? And you, as the Pharisees, should understand the mercy and the grace of God at this point. Here's what I want to say to you this morning. No matter what fresh start you need in life, the only basis for that fresh start is the gospel of Jesus Christ. No matter what fresh start you need in life, whatever you're going through that you're saying, Lord, it's been a dry time. Lord, I've rebelled against you. God, I have to deal with the self-righteous pride of my own heart. God, relationships around me are broken. I need a fresh start with church. Whatever fresh start you need, the only way to get to that fresh start is because of the good news of Jesus and what he has done. Because here's what we're tempted to do. When we hear fresh start, we think, I just need a second try at life. Like if I just had a second try, if I could just do this all over again, man, I would do better the second time. I hate to burst your bubble, but we probably want it. <laughs> like if we were given a second try, I, on our own strength, given a second try, we probably wouldn't do better. However, if God by his grace gives us a second try, then that's a whole other story because he is providing the fresh start that can only come from him. Whether you are a prodigal who has run far from the Lord, or whether you are a Pharisee who struggles with God's love for sinners, we are all separated from God. And every one of us needs the grace and the power of God in our life. And here is what makes this story so much fun. You can read a story like this and say, yeah, but where's the gospel of Jesus in this? Like, where, where do we understand about what Jesus has done for us? Remember what we said about the older brother? For the younger brother to come back into the house, it was going to cost the older brother something. He was going to have to make a sacrifice, and he didn't want to make that sacrifice. But God provided the perfect brother in Jesus who made the ultimate sacrifice so every one of us could be received back into the house of God. So every one of us could receive the grace and power and blessings of God. And the only reason we receive that is because the sacrifice of our perfect brother Jesus. He has done for us what we can never do for ourselves and we are received back into the house of God. We are able to be children of God, sons and daughters of God. And when you have received that, when you understand what God has provided, the way it transforms your life. And when I think about our church family, God, what do you want to do in Emmaus? What would, it, what, what, what would you do in our church? One of the things I think a lot about is how can we be a church 
that is full of returning prodigals and recovering Pharisees. That we are a church where there are people who have gone far from the Lord, who want nothing to do with the ways of the Lord, who have lived in every imaginable form of darkness and evil, and yet by God's grace are brought back into the family, who are able to be part of the people of God. And at the same time, that there would be people whose hearts have grown hard against the Lord. And they are more focused on their self-righteousness and their church attendance and their good behavior than they are on the grace of God. And God, by his mercy, would draw them back. And their hearts would be softened to those who are far from the Lord. One of the neatest things that God would ever do in a church family is to combine returning prodigals and recovering Pharisees. And my hope, Emmaus, is that God would do that here. Now let's be honest. (laughs) Most of us, because of the type of church we are, are recovering Pharisees. Just the nature of church life in Oklahoma, just the nature of the church we are, we have a lot of recovering Pharisees. But by God's grace, we would recognize what it is to receive returning prodigals. That we would be a church of grace and mercy and peace and celebration and joy that God would use in profound ways in people's lives? As we get ready to wrap up this morning, let me ask you this question. What fresh start do you need in your life? What fresh start do you need in your life this morning? You may have lived years knowing you were trying to earn your way into the house of God, into the family of God. You've tried to do good behavior. You've tried to work hard. You've tried to prove yourself to be part of the people of God. And this morning you would realize that that is not how you become a Christian. That's because of God's grace, because of what Jesus has done for you. And you would trust in the Lord this morning. Even over the last few weeks of, of talking to some older folks in our church who are dealing with this idea of, Have I just been going through the motions all these years? Have I just been trying to gain my own righteousness all these years of being in church? Do I ever understand the power of the gospel and of God's grace? Maybe this morning you would admit for the first time in a long time, I've been checked out from religion and spirituality and God. Like, I've not been living the life that God's called me to live. Maybe you've been living in sin. Maybe you just had very apathetic, just haven't cared about the things of God and God would bring you back in? Maybe this morning you're praying for somebody in your own life who's run away from home, who's run away from the Lord, and you would pray that God would draw them back. Whatever it is this morning, we're gonna have a chance to sing together a song about God's grace, and I'm gonna invite you to pray. Come to the front and pray. There's gonna be people in the landing area below the stadium seating that you can pray with. Don't go through the motions here at the end of the service. Ask yourself, God, what fresh work do you want to do in my life today? And let's respond with music and prayer right now. Let me pray for you, and we're going to wrap up. God, thank you for the parables, these simple stories in the Bible that doesn't matter if we're a little kid at camp or if we've been in church a long time, these stories have so much power And God, I pray that every one of us would think about the fresh start that we need to make in life. Maybe our hearts have grown hard. Maybe we think about our relationship with you as just serving you and obeying you, and you give us some good things in return, and it's so transactional, but it's not based on love and joy. Or God, maybe maybe there's somebody here this morning who has lived the prodigal life. 
They said they were going to do their own thing. They rebelled against their family and against all authority, and they went out and they lived life for all it could give, and it left them so empty. And this morning, whether they are in high school or whether they are in late in life, they would recognize that only true life comes through Jesus. And they would come back to you and find your mercy and grace and love. God, this year, bring salvation among our teenagers. God, this year, soften the hearts of those who, of us, including myself, who find ourselves as recovering Pharisees. And God, do a work in our church family as we run to you that is fresh, fresh wind, fresh fire, fresh power. God, we would have a fresh love for you and for one another. And God, we give ourselves to you right now in prayer and through praise. In Jesus' name, amen.